This is the Hashtag Raising Athletes podcast with today's guest, the founder of Pencil Footwear Design Academy and former Brand Jordan Creative Director, Dwayne Edwards. Hi, I'm Kirsten Jones. And I'm Susie Walton. And this is our podcast, Hashtag Raising Athletes with Kirsten and Susie. Our passion is supporting parents and raising not only strong athletes, but extraordinary people. Join us each week as we tackle all topics youth sports, including everything from early specialization and overuse injuries, to helping our kids feel empowered and learn how to advocate for themselves, not only in the classroom and on the court, but at dinner tables and in their communities. We'll be talking to coaches, athletes, parents, and anyone else who will speak to us <laughs> about their experiences with youth sports and their paths to success. And even more importantly, their failures. Yes, we're going to get into the gritty details of what went wrong so that we can all learn from it, teach our kids and ourselves how to do better next time. Because in the words of Maya Angelou, when you know better, you do better. So welcome to Raising Athletes, because we love to win too. Let's do this. All right, hello and welcome today on Hashtag Raising Athletes. We're excited to have the founder of Pencil Footwear Design Academy, Dwayne Edwards. But before we introduce our guest, let us tell you a little bit about ourselves. I'm Kirsten Jones, a peak performance and sports parenting coach. My passion is helping others align their values with their mission and their mindset to get exactly what they want in life. As a former Division I athlete, 14-year Nike executive, and now a coach and motivational speaker, I've always loved understanding the power of what makes peak performance possible. As a mother of three and someone who is currently in the middle of supporting my oldest dream to play sports in college, Susie and I have created this podcast to help others who are trying to raise not only strong athletes, but more importantly, extraordinary people. And I'm Susie Walton. I'm the founder of mom of four incredibly awesome sons <laughs> and now a grandma of nine little ones, all seven and under. I'm also a speaker, author, and family coach. I've always loved sports. I've been an athlete myself. I'm still playing beach volleyball. My passion, though, has always been kids. And I found one of the best ways I know how to support kids is in, by supporting their parents and supporting them in creating the family of their dreams. So I'm happy to be here with you, and let's get going. Yay. So Susie and I were talking about, you know, our goal is to help support parents and their teens in figuring out, you know, this giant $16 billion hairball that is youth sports. But ultimately, we're all parents. What do we want as parents? We want our kids to be happy and we want them to figure out what they're going to do when the ball stops bouncing. So today's guest is in my opinion, the perfect person to talk about all of this because Dwayne and I met, gosh, 10, 12 years ago, yeah, yeah, maybe least. more, at least, yeah. yeah, at Nike. And when I was running a program called Product Creation University, which we had over 500 employees come through, and part of the week was storytelling. And so everybody got to tell a little bit of their story and how it got them to where they were. And of all the stories that I heard, I remember yours so clearly because it was so poignant and it's so perfect for for this audience because I'm coaching parents right now I uh, you know coaching teens and their parents around okay what am I going to do okay I was a division one athlete or I got to play all the way through high school but now what so what now what so Dwayne if you wouldn't mind starting at the beginning <laughs> and right. sharing, sharing your story with us as um 
so we can let the audience know kind of where you came from. And we'll, we'll get to where you are today doing all these amazing things, but let's start at the beginning. Sure, yeah. So uh, name is Dwayne Edwards. Um, I'm originally from Inglewood, California. And um, Inglewood is, the, uh, is known for the city of champions. That's the city slogan, the city of champions. And um, where we were talking a bit earlier um, is that, you know, my, my childhood dream was to be a professional basketball player. Um, I, um, I am six one, but I was the shortest person on my basketball team. <laughs> so my, my hoop dream stalled a bit, but um, it was it was uh, it was strange for me because I think most inner city kids they they see they uh, unfortunately they 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 want to be what they see on TV mostly and and now obviously on the internet. But back then it was you know run jump and dunk and. Um, you know, as we know that there's there's a small percentage of people that are blessed with that ability, and there's even a smaller percentage of people that get a chance to actually have that as a real career and opportunity. Um, but for me, um, it was different because you know, Inglewood is where the Lakers moved from Minnesota, um, so they played in Los Angeles. They played in Inglewood before they played in Los Angeles, and um, their practice practice facilities was my high school, Inglewood High School. And so every other day when they had home games, I would see Magic and Kareem and Worthy and Coop and Pat Riley walking around the campus as well as playing on the same court that I hope my hoop dreams would come true on. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, it was I could touch it. You know, I can see it. So it'd be, you know, I believed it more because I was able to see it. But um, at the same time, um, like I said, I, I knew I wasn't going to get there. Um, and I had this other outlet that it wasn't as sexy and it wasn't as cool as being the basketball guy in, in high school. Um, and, and it was drawing. And, you know, artists are born that way. And you cultivate that art over time by practicing your craft and developing your craft. But what happens probably to artists more than athletes is that they're not encouraged to do that thing. You know, athletes are always encouraged to become athletes and play and organize sports and and activities. But as an artist, if you don't have an artistic um, family member, um, you would get discounted because art equals broke. (laughs) Okay. And, um, And it equaled broke when I was a kid. And still to this day, you know, if you're not aware, it still equals broke. And so that was what I was told. I was told and taught that by people outside. Of, of my immediate family because I had two older brothers that were also born with the same gift mm. and my mother was also born with the same gift. So I was able to see how like, oh, I'm not, I'm not that strange because I had people in my household that were doing it. My, my older brothers, they didn't, they didn't utilize their gifts though. They, they, they went on to have normal jobs, um, but they, they passed on what they learned to me. And so I started working on it and experimenting it. And I, I used to draw, um, my first kind of experience with drawing was football cards and I would get football cards and I would draw specific. I remember the first card I got where I saw the shoes for the very first time was a Franco Harris, 1981 football card. <laughs> and up to, up until that point, the football cards, they would stop at the kneecap and they never showed like the whole body. And when I, when I was drawing these football cards and I saw the shoes, he was wearing pony cleats at the time. And I just was fascinated with the shoe because it wasn't the same as the body. It was a different shape. It was an odd shape. It was harder to draw. And so I just started drawing shoes at like 12 years old. I was just drawing the shoes from the football cards. And then the basketball cards came along. 
Um, but, you know, if you're 12 years old growing up in the inner city and say, oh, I like to draw shoes or I like to draw, <laughs> like they're going to be like, okay, <laughs> get out of here, kid. You know, you'll know what you're doing. Find something else to do. And um, so my, 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 my love was drawing. And um, what I realized, it was a bit of my escape because it allowed me to quite honestly stay safe um, because my, my neighborhood isn't, it wasn't the greatest. Um, but it was still something I kind of hid from people because, it, again, it wasn't sexy. It wasn't cool. So I started growing and I played basketball and that was the thing I wanted to do. But my, my love for sneakers grew from a basketball perspective because my, my high school uniform was um, green and white. And at that time, Nike only came in like white, 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 silver and maybe white, black. And I always want to be different. So I would get I would go to the local shoe repair store and buy some green um, shoe dye, went to the hardware store, bought some duct tape. And I went home, taped up my shoes, um, and then I dyed my swoosh green. So I came to school with shoes that no one else had seen before. And so people were freaking out because they were like, where'd you get those? And when you're a kid and you're in, in, in the inner city, there's two, there's two things that you don't want to hear from someone is where did you get your shoes? Because they want to get some just like yours and what you didn't want people to have. And then what size do you wear? Yeah. Because that means they're about to, they're about to take your shoes. <laughs> you didn't want those two things to come out. Um, so, so I started customizing my shoes, and then that turned into me customizing my teammates' shoes. So I had a little side business in high school as a customizer in 85. Did you charge them? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, really? Because <laughs> I, I had to buy more shoes. So, uh, so that was my, my little hustle because I actually tried to get a job at Foot Locker, but they wouldn't hire me. And I really just wanted to work there. It was actually called Kenny's Shoes before Foot Locker. Yeah. Um, I wanted to work there so I can get a discount so I could buy more shoes. Uh, but but, they but just, you ended up at McDonald's, huh? Yeah, I ended up at McDonald's because they, they hired me. <laughs> so, I, again, the goal was just to buy more shoes. Um, and, and when you're a kid back then, and it's still relevant to this day, like good shoes, you look better to girls. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so the girl in the shoe equation was still the same, right? Um, plus, that was my mode of transportation. So I didn't have a car uh, yeah. and it wasn't cool to ride a bike. So I had to walk. So if I walked, <laughs> I wanted to make sure I walked good, right? So, um, so my, my fascination of, of art happened at that point. And, and um, I didn't know what the word design was. So can we jump ahead to, was it, how old were you when you started at, at McDonald's and you had this um, manager who told you? Asked 16, you what you yeah, 16. Okay. Yeah, 16 years old. And, um, uh, you know, I, I got this, um, uh, the whole time at McDonald's, I was trying to get another job. And so at lunchtime, I would look in the LA Times for new jobs. And um, they had this ad for a, a shoe design competition at Reebok. And to me, it was like the biggest full page I'd ever seen, but it was like one inch by a quarter of an inch big. And so I entered this design competition. You have to, this, this is old, right? So there's a phone number, right? So there was a phone number and I had to call the phone number to get the address to mail my submission to. No um, <laughs> so I ended up, I did that and I actually won the competition. So I was like, oh, sweet. Like, this is what I want to do. And I went back to work and I was like, hey, I figured out what I really want to do. I want to become a footwear designer. And my, my, my manager at the time at McDonald's, <clears throat> she was like, oh, give up on that dream. Like, why would you want to do that when you can have a career at McDonald's? Like, you could become an assistant manager. Then you can get a store manager. Then you can have your own store and we'll send you to Hamburger University. And I'm like, I'm not trying to do all that. Like, I want to design sneakers. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, it's a real thing. It's in Chicago. It's a real place. Um, and so I, I, after that kind of let down, I went to high school, went back to school. I told my counsel, okay, hey, I figured out what I want to do with my life. Can you help me, guide me? And she was like, no black kid from England would ever design shoes. Like, why would you ever want to do something like that? And so it just became kind of this thing, like nobody really supported and um, so I kind of gave up on this idea because all I heard was art equals broke. And then I was introduced to the word design and design is the different is different than art. The same skill set. But if, if I had to simplify both is art, you're creating it for yourself and you don't care if someone likes it or doesn't like it. Design, you're creating it for someone else with the with the thought that someone will like it and buy it. Mm. So there's this clear distinction that. If you're not in the artistic area, you won't know the difference. And so people will just say, you can't have a career in art because you'll be broke always. And so I believed it. And um, all through high school, that was the focus. And I gave up on the idea, graduated from high school, gave up on the hoop dream. Um, <laughs> the hoop dream ended as a junior in high school, actually. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, I graduated from school and I got a job as an, a file clerk. Um, at a footwear company called LA Gear, yeah. and and my job was to file papers in alphabetical order. The most the most smart job you can have as a person. <laughs> no offense to file clerks out there, but um, to me the beauty was I was at a footwear company, and I was like, wow, let me let me see if I can get a job here as a designer. And so I started asking people like, what do you what does it take to become a footwear designer here? And they said, oh, well, you have to go to college, you have to do this. And I'm like, oh, great, like I finally got wind of college and what I had to major in, but I had already graduated. I didn't have a portfolio. I didn't have what it needed to get to college, let alone I didn't have any money to go to college. And they put these um, suggestion boxes in every department of the company. So again, this is in 1988. So like if, if someone wanted to meet with you, they announced your name over the intercom system and the entire company heard like, hey, can you come to my office? <laughs> <laughs> or if you need to communicate with somebody, you would put, you would put a piece of paper in an envelope <laughs> and it's called inner office mail, right? Yeah, so yeah, that people would come that. around, uh, pick up the envelope and drop it off at someone's desk. <laughs> so uh, they put these suggestion boxes in every department and um, it was ways to make the company better. And um, so while everyone was putting like complaints and things in there, I was putting suggestions up through sketches. So I'd put sketches in a suggestion box. So every day when I got into work, I would put a new sketch in the box, not knowing if anybody would see it. Um, but I had nothing to lose. I was drawing them anyway. And about six months later, the owner of the company at the time, his name is Robert Greenberg. Um, I get a I get an inner office. I mean, an inner uh, intercom message. Dwayne Edwards report to Robert Greenberg's office, and I'm like. Dude, I wouldn't even work here full time. I'm like, I'm a temp. Like, what, what did I, what did I, I do? do? <laughs> I mean, I'm sure he can't be that mad because I put something in the wrong alphabetical order. Right. <laughs> so he called me. He called me in, and um, he had all 180 of my sketches on his desk. Hmm. And he was like, you know, I heard that you're the one that's been putting these sketches in my in my box, and I just want to know, you know where did you go to school? And, and I was like, well, I just graduated from Inglewood High School six months ago. Um, I said, what, what school do I need to go to to get a job mm -hmm. here? And he was like, look, I tell you what, I like your, I like your ambition. I like your passion. I'm going to hire you as, a, as an assistant designer. Oh, no. So I, I turned pro, um, not in basketball, but I turned pro as a professional designer at the age of 19. And um, I immediately started working with professional athletes. So mm -hmm. one of the first guys I worked with was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, which 
I just saw like six months ago at my high school. So I started designing shoes for Kareem. And then a few years, Carl Malone. And then Shaq was still at LSU. So I started doing stuff with Shaq at LSU. So here I am, this 22-year-old kid living out his hoop dreams through athletes that I was watching on TV where I wasn't playing basketball, but I was providing shoes for them to play basketball in. And that that kind of woke me up from the perspective of that. I realized my hoop dream didn't die. Like yeah. it actually got better <laughs> minus the minus the paycheck. Yeah. But the hoop dream got better <laughs> from the perspective of I was I was designing shoes for guys that uh, were obviously really good. Um, now, you know, Kareem is the leading scorer in NBA history. Karl Malone is second. Um, I designed shoes for Michael Jordan, who's third. <laughs> um, wow. Or did, did Kobe pass Mike? I can't remember. I don't know. I, um, I want to say, I don't know. I, I, don't know I, don't, I don't know if Kobe passed Mike, but um, so I, 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 well, I had the pleasure of designing shoes for three of the five most prolific scores in NBA history. Did Nike find you or did you find them? Uh, they found me. So mm-hmm. what, was, what was ironic was... Um, they found me because um, in addition to designing basketball product, I was designing sneakers and lifestyle things. And so they found me because they needed someone to help them design boots because they weren't good at designing boots. And at the time, Timberland was super hot at the time. Time out. Kobe did pass Michael. I okay. just Googled it. There we go. All right. So, so, Mike, is, so Mike is fourth now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think Shaq is fifth, I think. Uh, well... Wilt, Wilt is fifth? Yep. Wow, okay. It goes Kareem, Carl, Kobe, Michael, Wilt, Dirk, LeBron, and then Shaq. Ah, okay. All right. So three of the top five ain't bad. Yeah. Um, Not bad. Congratulations. Okay. Yeah, that's <laughs> amazing. Um, so I, 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 I kind of started making my name, uh, name for myself, designing kind of um, lifestyle shoes and boots. Um, so I started working with another chronic crazy thing for me. I started working with... Puffy when he was 19 years old, Tupac when he was 20 years wow. old, Biggie, Biggie when he was 19 and 20 years old, um, Dr. Dre had just turned like 24, um, Nas was like 18 years old. So I was working with these guys in my early 20s, wow. and they become some of the biggest names in hip hop today. Um, but Nike start to see that, and they need to help with attracting that audience. So they actually asked me to come up and work with them, and that was I moved up and uh, moved up to Oregon in 2000. And then you were. So you were working on just the boot business. You yeah, were. yeah. I was in the I was in the ACG department. Oh, and you were. So yeah. ACG is called All Conditions Gear, and yeah. so I was in ACG. So we we started working on um, this collection of boots. Uh, one of them that stuck is called the Goa Dome. Yeah. And uh, mm-hmm. the Goa Dome, they probably still sell about a million or two million pairs a year of that boot, and it was done in in. The, 18 years ago. <laughs> um, and um, about a year into my Nike job, um, I was in the Jerry Rice building on the third floor and the Jordan brand was on the fourth floor. And so um, I would sneak upstairs to the Jordan floor just to see what the air was like up there because um, <laughs> it was different. And um, so they got tired of seeing me. They're like, hey, dude, if you want to do something, you can. And so I started doing some Jordan projects before I joined the brand. And about six months in, they asked me to join the brand as a senior designer. And then six months later, I became the design director in Jordan. So I know this is a hard question, maybe, but out of all the designs you did, do you have a favorite project or even just the process that you went through with the athlete that was memorable? Um, 
hard probably just to think of I'll split that up into two. So, okay. So yeah, I mean, you know, all your shoes are like your kids, right? You don't <laughs> you don't tell you don't tell anybody out loud which one is your favorite kid. <laughs> so, uh, I, I said out loud because you right, right, right. Right? Yeah. So, <laughs> um, but I, I would I would say that the one that's most memorable or the one that means the most probably to me is is um, the very first project I got to do in Jordan was a project called the New Retro Two, and it was the same shoe that I designed in high school. So I graduated mm. in 1988, and Jordan, um, the Air Jordan 2 came out in 1988, and I was doing my versions of Jordans back then. And 12 years later, that was a real project for me to do um, as a professional, was to actually redesign the shoe I designed to 12 years prior. Um, so that one, pro- it has more sentimental value because it was a signal to me that that was where I was supposed to be. Right. Um, But I mean, hands down, obviously, when you get a chance to meet Michael Jordan, let alone work with him is something you don't forget. Um, So that was nerve wracking within itself. But um, what what uh, probably my most memorable experience was probably working with Carmelo Anthony. Um, He was the one that I worked with the most over over my time in the Jordan brand and just getting to see him and know him as a 19 year old kid and, and develop him. Uh, when I say develop him, I was designing issues, but I was teaching him the design process. Mm-hmm. So I didn't, I didn't allow him to just say, I like this or I like that. I taught him the process so he could give me real-time feedback on what worked or what didn't work. Taught him computer programs so he was coloring his own shoes at one point. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of really the, the, the beginning of what I'm doing now a little bit. But it was, that was probably the most enjoyable part of the, of the experience of getting to know him as a person and then seeing him grow as a person and as well as an athlete. That's awesome. So not to skip too far ahead, but we're running out of time. We could do an hour, but to keep it tighter, knowing, okay, at what point did you decide this is not just a dream to actually teach young kids how to design shoes, but I'm going to go take a leap of faith and leave Nike and leave Jordan and do this? Well, I'm a big believer in everything happens for a reason. And um, I, I don't believe that I was brought here just to design shoes. I, I, I believe that it was a vehicle for me to, to share the gift that I was born with to other people and to give people um, some insights on that they could do something other than run, jump, and dunk or what they see on television because that was the existence that I had when I was a kid. And there's nothing wrong with being able to do that. But like I said, only a small percentage of people actually do that. Yeah. And there's a larger percentage of people that do the other jobs that work at these companies that service these athletes. So I wanted to show these kids that their, their sport dreams don't have to die at the court or the field, right? And to give kids that grew up in the same environments that I, that I grew up in a bit more hope that there's life after sport and there's life even before sport. <laughs> um, and I like to tell kids that I'm probably the most successful non-athlete to ever be in the sports industry um, because my, my shoes have been on every NBA floor, every NFL field, every baseball field, um, five different Olympics. Um, so I've been everywhere. Um, it's just I've been there through a different lens. And, and I say I because it's whatever I create is an extension of me. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's important for kids to know that there's options, that there's other options that they can do outside of sport. And, um, and, and for me, it was no better way to show them how design can impact um, that as well as sales can do that. Marketing can do that because they really don't know. Like, you know, I wish the sports companies did a better job of communicating to kids other than buy something 
Like, hey, you know what? You can have a job here. You may not know how to design because that's also a limited area that a lot of people can't do. There's other opportunities in sports as far as marketing, sales, development. There's multiple areas. Um, So for me, it was I knew that I could do this one thing and I knew there were no schools that taught what I did. And so I decided to do it because I knew the whole industry needed it. But more importantly, I knew the consumers needed it. But what the consumers didn't realize is the companies needed them. Yeah. And so creating this, creating pencil was just a way to, for me, quite honestly, was to leave my industry better than how I received it. And if I could do that and, and help kids see another path, um, then I feel like I've done what I was supposed to, to do. So we're talking about pencil, which is P-E-N-S-O-L-E.com, right? And yeah. ultimately, out of that, you've created the World Sneaker Championships. Can you tell yeah. us what that's about? Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm still a sports guy at heart, right? And, yeah. you know, design and sports to me are, are connected. Um, and um, just for fun, like the idea was really like, how can I reach kids? Like, how can I show them that this is an opportunity and I want to have fun with it? So using creativity beyond just drawing something and using creativity from a business perspective, I threw out a challenge of like, all right, let me see if I can find the best sneaker designer in the world. Mm-hmm. And um, so whenever you put like world in the title, people pay attention <laughs> to it. Right. So. <laughs> so we created the World Sneaker Championship mirrored after the NCAA basketball tournament. So we, we threw out this big net for the globe. We picked the best 64 designs. How, how many kids submit uh, designs? Um, we're averaging uh, uh, we're averaging over a few thousand kids wow. submit, and um, we're up to like 78 different countries now. Wow. And it, it, it shows how sneaker culture is not just a U.S. thing or a Japanese thing or a Chinese thing. Like, it's global. And so we, we put the best 64 kids up in bracket style. And they every week, the consumers vote which should advance. It was a single elimination tournament. And um, it's been fun. You know, every, every year it gets bigger and better. And, and this year, we're going to fly the, the final four down to Portland. We set up a big boxing ring in the middle of the studio. Cool. And they'll do a, a live a live battle. I don't like the World Series of Poker. That's awesome. And the winner gets yeah. what? What does what the winner get? So the winner gets uh, $20,018 in cash, as well as they get their design sold at Foot Locker. And obviously a championship belt and the rights to say that they're the World Sneaker Championship. Yeah, no champion. doubt. And yeah. probably a job, too. Yeah, the, a lot of the kids that have gone through the program, that are, they are now working at these companies. Um, and, and that was the original premise of Pencil as well, is to, to provide some, some learning opportunities for these kids to propel them for employment in our industry right now. Yeah. So what has been or what are some of your biggest learnings? You've now been doing this six years? Uh, no, this is eight. Eight? Yeah. Oh, wow. Eight, eight. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Yeah. Um, the, some of the biggest learnings is education is more crazy than corporate America. <laughs> um, and that, um, ultimately you have to reach the people. Like if you can get, if you can get in front of the kids and show them opportunities and not rely on other people to pass on information, because a, a lot of schools don't always do what's in the best interest of the student. Yeah. Um, they do what's in the best interest of them. And so we try to, we try to be the voice of the student. And we also try to be the voice of the, of, the, of the company so we can let the students know this is what the companies expect of you for employment opportunities. And we try to connect those dots between the two because they're, they're a little disconnected right now. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah. Well, I just love what you're doing. And I'm such a huge fan of, of 
how you're giving back and how you're incorporating. And we talked about this before we jumped on the call, but my big, my, one of my biggest teaching tools is working with kids and asking them like, what, if you were left to your own devices and you went back to your eight year old self, what would you do with your time? And I love that you, in fact, you said it may, it wasn't necessarily a straight line, but eventually you got back to knowing that this was something that was, you know, within you when you were eight or 10 or 12 years yeah. old. Right. And that's yeah. what's now you've created your own company. You've created your own brand. You, you are not reliant upon somebody else, but to actually, you know, for young kids coming out of college and we think, Oh, we got to get our dream job right away. Not really. You need to, you know, go, go have some good adventures, right? Go try a few things and maybe LA gear gets you to Nike, gets you to creating your own brand. And it takes, yeah. 20 years, but it's worth it, right? Oh, it, it takes time. Um, you know, I would, I would challenge, I would challenge the, these kids to come out not thinking about what their dream job is, more so thinking about what they, what they want their life to be. Yeah. Because if, if all of your dreams are wrapped up into place, like a company, you're more than likely going to be disappointed when you get there mm-hmm. because it's not going to be what you, your fantasy of what you thought it was going to be. It's not going to be that. So it's, it's more important for you not to let a company define who you are and what your path will be. It's, it's, to me, it's more about you understanding what you want your path to be and start working towards getting there. Now, a company might get you on that path, though, and they might get you to that point. But having too much wrapped up into someone else's dream and someone else's entity, um, you just kind of of setting yourself up for disappointment a little bit. Um, so I, I challenge my students to not be so wrapped up into, oh, I need to get a job at Nike to justify my existence as a designer. Oh, I need to get a job at Adidas to justify my existence as a designer. Mm-hmm. More so is like, what do you want your existence as a designer to be? Mm-hmm. And then see who fits that. Because those big companies might not fit that equation that you craft it for yourself. So it's, for me, it's more important for you to understand what your path is and not let someone else dictate where, 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 where it takes you. That's huge. I agree. That is, um, we do have these fantasies about the end all be all is going to be in another person yeah, <laughs> or in another brand. True. Yeah, right? no, that's true. That's and when um, I heard a great thing from Will Smith the other day, and he talked about once, you know, Jada and I stopped expecting each other to fix one another we started to be in, right. started to look inside we became Absolutely. much happier with ourselves and ultimately the relationship flourished yep. and you say the same about your career right if yep. you're looking for that to complete me then you might be very disappointed when you get there if it doesn't have all the bells and whistles that you were hoping for absolutely no abs- yeah. absolutely yeah. yeah. Well, so for the parents listening out there, or the teens that might be listening, you know, where can they find out more about you and what's going on with Pencil? Uh, so Pencil.com. We try to keep it really simple. P E N S O L E dot com. And um, we're, we're just introducing a high school program. Um, we're launching that next week. Um, we, we had to build the college program first to have a place to send kids. So now we're going backwards and now we're creating a high school program. We, we get emails all the time from um, little kids that are 13 and 14 years old and parents and high school teachers. So now we're, 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 we're creating a platform for them to, to understand what the opportunity looks like at an earlier age. What will um, that so program look like? Um, it's first is going to start as a competition like the world sneaker championship. And, okay. um, it's, it's set up that way to really challenge those who are serious about it, to weed out those that are not serious about it. Mm-hmm. Cause we, we really want to focus in on those who are serious and 
we're exposing you to the, but then there's only a certain amount of people that will follow through with anything. Right. You know, so we, uh, <laughs> we want to make sure that we focus on that part and those people um, because our, our plan is to align you with the right education you need to get into the right college and then get you into the right company or get, get you into the right situation that's best for you. So we, we want to make sure that when we make that investment in you, because it's free, so yeah. because everything, the majority of everything that we do is free, we want to make sure that we're investing into the right people. Right. Yeah. 98% of us won't, we say we want one thing and we'll do the opposite, right? So. Oh, absolutely. That's right. why, that's why those companies offer you a money back guarantee because they know you'll never take it back. Right. Right. Cause we say that. Yeah. <laughs> they, they know you will never exercise that, <laughs> that thing. So that's why they offer it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I go back to, as a parent, taking CJ, my oldest, to your office at Jordan and you sitting down and he, to this day, I still have, he has it in his room, the, the Carmelo design that you autographed and it said dream bigger that nice. you wrote on there and the shoe that you gave him and the time that you were willing to take with him just as you're willing to take with me today is, is just so special. I really appreciate you doing that. And I really hope my goal is to inspire those kids out there that are trying to figure it out. And I believe you probably show up every day and think, wow, I created this. I get to do this. How lucky am I, right? Yeah, it's, uh, you sometimes be careful what you wish for. Yeah. But, <laughs> but, uh, but no, I, I feel there's a certain satisfaction of being in control of your destiny. Yes. And obviously, you don't do anything by yourself. You know, there's, there's people that, that are part of the academy, and they're all former students, that it wouldn't run and do the things that we're doing without them. So I'm, I'm a small piece in the equation. Um, but, you know, people ask me all the time, it's like, do you have any regrets leaving, big comfy job? And it's like, no, not at all. I mean, yeah, the paycheck was nice, but peace of mind, you can't put a price on. And I think sometimes people overlook the importance of of feeling good and being healthy, both mentally and physically, Mm. where they they stay in these unhealthy environments because they're being paid to do something that they don't like. and, And they don't even realize how it's deteriorating them from the inside out. And I recognize that, you know, it was a great place where I was. It just wasn't where I was happiest. Mm-hmm. And even though I was happy doing what I was doing, because uh, I'm, I'm grateful for what I've been able to do, but um, I knew that there was more. And so my focus has always been happiness, not wealth. And such a brilliantly said, I mean, when we go after that, when we show up for who we are and what we truly believe in, yeah. the wealth will come. Absolutely. If that's a passion of yours and it's not for everybody some people it's like they don't need that so yeah. but you'll live once you're living in alignment with your mission and your mindset then that all it all comes so thank you so much for taking the time today i really appreciate it it's great to see you yes <laughs> and our, our listeners won't see we're actually on a video but you guys won't see that but <laughs> wonderful to have you on and um i'm excited to to see what the next chapter brings for you thank you me too yeah. <laughs> <laughs>